The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. From time to time, I read a near-death experiencer's report as it was written and submitted to IONS, and that's what I'm doing today. This woman's NDE occurred shortly after she gave birth naturally, with no anesthesia, and then bled to death. Her report also mentions she is a multiple experiencer with STEs prior to her NDE, and two separate events post-childbirth. It's titled, It is here in our bodies that the lessons of love are made manifest. She writes, Years ago, I was invited to a lecture given by a Tibetan Lama. I enjoyed listening to him. His accent was musical. The smell of incense, the sound of bells, the robes, and all seemed to evoke a deep remembering. It wasn't until he answered a question from the audience that he had my full attention. I don't remember the question, but I do remember the answer. He said, Bleeding to death is one of the most conscious and favorable ways to die, because you stay present till the last possible second, and you can feel and observe the stages of separation we undergo when leaving the physical realm. This riveted me. I knew it to be true, and yet I had never heard anyone confirm it. My body vibrated with joy. Somehow it felt validated. When I was 25 years old, I hemorrhaged and bled to death after the birth of my second child. I had what is now known as an NDE, near-death experience. I'd had a long, arduous 18-hour labor, and when my son was eventually born, we were both pretty battered. I was taken to a ward and left alone to rest, welcoming the quiet and the privacy. I thought I might sleep a little. But first, I thank my body for coming through this ordeal at the hands of a young, inexperienced doctor. I prayed for my tiny son, who was bruised and traumatized by the journey through my pelvis, and thanked God for delivering us both safely and giving me the strength and courage to give birth naturally without drugs. I felt empowered. It seemed possible to do anything. I decided to squirm and find a comfortable position to sleep, as I was beyond exhaustion. As I moved, I realized I was stuck to the sheets with something warm and sticky, and I was so lightheaded that I couldn't sit up to see the problem. Suddenly, a cold electric tingling began to wash through me, and my field of vision was filled with pinpricks of dancing light. After a short while, a nurse came in and looked at me. She seemed alarmed and moved swiftly to check my pulse. I saw her raise my arm, holding onto my wrist, but I could not feel her touch. Then I heard her yell, Code Blue, this woman has no pulse. I tried to speak and realized I was unable to make a sound. I couldn't breathe. I panicked, desperately sending the signal to breathe to my lungs, but with no response. My body was shutting down, and I had an intense feeling of claustrophobia. All my senses began to close down one by one. I heard a commotion in the hall. There was the sound of people running, yelling instructions, and 
pushing noisy machinery at what sounded like great speed. This scared me. I was so tired. I didn't want to see or feel what they would do to me. I'd just had enough. This was where it became clear to me that death is, in fact, an exhale that can no longer be followed by an inhale. That simple. I don't think I had ever really appreciated my breath before, but in that moment I knew the true value of my breath. Your breath is all that stands between you and death. A breath fully breathed is the Holy Spirit in action, and when you consciously breathe, you are in a state of grace. I was ashamed at how much I had taken my life-sustaining breath for granted. In what I am sure was just seconds, I popped out of the crown of my head. Popped is a good description, because there was an internally audible pop as I left my body through the spot in my skull that in infants is called the soft spot or fontanelle. The panic was over almost instantly, and I was floating around the ceiling of the hospital room, looking down on a body I realized was me. I felt no attachment to the body, just curiosity. I looked smaller than I had imagined and different. It wasn't until years later that I realized we never see ourselves as others see us. We only see our reflection in mirrors or photos. At that stage, I was a sculpture teacher doing a death mask as part of a piece of artwork. As I took the mask out of the mold, I saw my face from my deathbed, not the one I see every day in the mirror looking back at me. It was an aha moment. As nurses and doctors ran into the room, I realized I didn't want to be there anymore, so I traveled up and out of the building into the night sky. I felt free and unencumbered and was drawn toward the stars. I realized I could just float over the treetops and go home to visit my family, but the call of the night sky was stronger. I wanted to soar into space and be free. I realized I was traveling at the speed of thought. All I had to do was think upward and I would be moving until I changed my thought or altered it. That was amazing, and it took some some getting used to. I felt the way my old belief systems severely limited me. I realized my thoughts were instantly creating my reality, so I'd better be clear. I turned, looked back, and saw Earth. She was a jewel suspended in space, so beautiful. I loved Earth. In fact, I was more attached to it than I had been in my own body. I felt bereft to be leaving her, and I now understand what was meant by the saying, the Earth is our mother. She is a living organism. I had been too self-absorbed to notice. Then, wondering what to do in this new situation, I began to see my life played before me like a holographic movie. What I mean by that is that I watched it in three dimensions with all my senses employed. I was a witness to my own life, an objective witness. I say objective because I, I felt the feelings of everyone involved and saw each person's point of view, not just my own selfish perspective. The first scene that I saw was when I was about two years old and I pushed my neighbor off my swing, sending him home crying and I felt good because it was my swing. In another, there was a young man in college who fell in love with me quickly because he knew I was the one for him. His passion and intensity frightened me, so I ran away without an explanation. 
I felt his pain. I'd broken his heart. During this review of my life, I saw another theme. By not telling the truth when I was, I was clear about how I felt, I kidded myself about sparing the other person, or I avoided a confrontation by pretending confusion. I was shown how damaging this was. It's like a stone dropped into the middle of a still pond. The ripples go on till they meet the shore, then bounce and travel some more, acting and interacting. The consequences are felt in ways we can't even imagine. When it was over, I felt confused. I said to myself, wait a minute, I didn't see any of my good deeds. Not one time I gave or received love. And a voice said to me, the love you give and the love you receive are yours for all eternity. You only answer for your incompletions, all the things not said or done. What I had seen made sense. I saw all my incompletions. Why hadn't someone told me? I could have done it differently. I I also realized I was being shown all the paths not taken in my life. There were many paths available, paths seemingly effortless, virtual superhighways, straight and well-lit with no speed limit, like the Autobahn in Germany. There were also twisting, wooded paths with rest stops, like the beckoning roads through the countryside, mysterious and dark, alluring because... I couldn't imagine where the path might end or what adventures might await. We often choose this winding path because it is the model which has been set for us by our families. We don't believe we deserve the clear, effortless path, or it will be boring and uneventful, or it might be too visible or not challenging or too adventurous. Also, we are afraid that if we take the direct path, we will arrive at God too quickly and our lives will be over, which, I might add, shows us how little we trust the Almighty. This is one way we perpetuate suffering. Then I was shown the times in my life where angels had been there to directly help me. They wore many disguises, and I was appalled at my lack of recognition and lack of gratitude, stunned at how loved and protected I had been in my relatively short life. At 15, I was in the hospital to have a cyst the size of a grapefruit removed from an ovary. The operation had gone wrong, and while going to the bathroom afterwards, my incision opened, letting me look in horror at my intestines. I was reclamped, but an infection set in. As I lay in bed, I wanted to die. It seemed my life was only full of pain. A presence appeared at the side of my bed in the dark and kept vigil. As the sun rose in the morning and the rays shone in on my face, this presence said, Have heart. The best is yet to come. Then he disappeared, and I began recovering. In another instance, while in college, I had been away out of state for a homecoming weekend and had to make it back to my dorm before curfew. There had been a comedy of errors during my attempts to return. I misplaced my ticket. The plane was late, etc. I had a 103-degree temperature from strep throat and no money. I got into Port Authority in New York City and realized I needed $19 and change to get a bus back to my college. I was sick and desperate when a man walked out of the crowd, handed me a $20 bill, and said, Get back safely. He was gone before I could say thank you. 
he was an angel. I was shown others, and, and that these examples were just a few of many incidents. It took me a while to absorb all that I was being shown. It felt like I was being broken open. Once again, traveling with the speed of thought, I found myself approaching what looked like a tunnel. Naturally curious and also quite cautious, I stepped up to the ribbed opening. The tunnel was tall enough to walk into, but it appeared too narrow as it progressed. It was a dark color, brownish, grayish, pinkish, and felt soft like velvet. As I investigated, I was drawn to look at the far end toward the brightest light I had ever seen. The light was alive. Imagine a powder snow that falls off an evergreen tree into the wind and the sun catches it falling. Each flake is a translucent rainbow sparkling in the wind. That is what it was like, only more magical because it was alive. I decided I had to go and see it, no matter what the cost. As I arrived at the end of the tunnel and stepped into the light, I noticed golden egg-like shapes of light moving. I can't exactly say how I realized this, but within each golden shape, there was a recognizable person. Off to the left was my father. I was overjoyed to see him as he had died when I was only 20 years old and I'd missed him with all my heart. Daddy, I thought. All thoughts were telepathic. That had been a natural way of communication between my father and I when he was alive. My father had severe multiple sclerosis and was quadriplegic my entire life. As with many people, when something is lost physically, something else is gained. He had a brilliant mind, and I grew up talking to him without speaking. I never knew how unusual our method of communicating was until he was gone. And unfortunately, it became an ability of mine that had to be squelched. I found that people do not like their minds read. It is said that all humans have the ability to communicate telepathically, and I believe they do. The only thing that impedes telepathy is secrets, lies, and withholds. These things shut us down. My father was also standing. I'd never in my life seen him stand or walk. He looked vibrant and in the prime of his life, and I was ecstatic. He was healed, and we exchanged a flood of love from heart to heart. I noticed a line of lights behind him, winding away into the distance, and I asked my father, Who are they? He looked at me gently, and he said, These are your ancestors. They have come to greet you. Didn't you know that you were the living hope of your ancestors? What they couldn't accomplish during their lives, they counted on you to resolve. You got as far as you did because you were able to stand on their bones. I could see my lineage stretched out in front of me, and I was awed and humbled. I could never feel alone again. Then I shifted my focus to a light directly in front of me. I knew instantly it was Jesus. I reached forward with my hands, sensing there must be a membrane or some barrier I needed to move through to come into his presence, and I felt a welcoming force field. As I touched it, my hands began to transform into golden light, and it traveled up my arms and my heart, streaming love to Christ and receiving it simultaneously. It was profound. I was melting, ecstatically, 
into golden light and all-knowingness, a peace that surpassed all understanding. As it turned out, this golden light must have activated my hands, because in later years I realized I could see with my hands. When I do hands-on healing within the sanctity of a session, it's as if my hands can detect any disturbances or irregularities, physical or otherwise. This is one of the gifts I returned with and now used to ease pain or to restore well-being when asked. As the light reached my shoulders and was ready to arc across my chest, a voice said, What about your children? I was disoriented and annoyed. What? And then I remembered I had a small daughter and a newborn son. Who could care for them? As I thought of my then-husband, I saw the lives of my children, the lives that they would have if, if I left them to be raised by him, and it wasn't acceptable. In desperation, I tried to think of someone else who could raise my children. How about my mother, my mother-in-law, my best friend? Again, none of these possible lives were acceptable to me. My children deserved more. They needed me. I looked at Christ and knew, as difficult as it was to leave the light, my commitment was to my children. I have to go back, I thought. At that very second, I was back in my body in the hospital, cold, in terrible pain, and deeply sad. The doctors and nurses were giving me a transfusion. I have a rare blood type, and all they had available was blood that had been frozen and not sufficiently warmed. It was horribly cold in half my body and felt like a thousand bees stinging me. The other half of my body was warmer after the blood passed through my heart. This is the power of free will. It is our privilege to be granted free will. We decide, and that has tremendous power. How can we play victim in the face of this truth? I still found it too painful to stay conscious, so once again I left my body and found myself in what looked like a round-domed, marbled room, surrounded by arches and filled with a heavy mist or fog. I was levitated into the middle of the room where there were 24 teachers sitting in a circle around me. They were robed, and some seemed to have hoods. Some were bearded, as in, and as a group, they emanated the wisdom of the universe. What in heaven's name was I doing in a group like this? They told me things to ease my pain and taught me. I absorbed their teachings eagerly as if they were water for my thirsty soul. There came a point where they asked if I had any questions, and I was allowed to ask until they were there were absolutely no questions left. I was filled with a glorious silence and felt whole. Later, after I recovered consciousness, I remembered the teachings for about three days. Then life seemed to overwhelm me, and the teachings faded into the background. I know they are still part of me, and sometimes I come across a truth, and I remember, ah, yes, I know that to be true. I remained unconscious throughout the day. Finally, there was a wise elderly nurse who took it upon herself to bring my baby into my room and let him cry at my side. It was like his cry went through time and space and found me and called me back. I heard his cry, and following the sound, I fought to come back to my body, to hold him 
to my breast and actually felt my spirit drop into my body with a thud. This experience altered me. It set my life on a course of service and healing. It gave me the inner knowing that we are all the living hope of our ancestors. It gave me direct experience of life everlasting, and it proved to me I am here by choice to fulfill my soul's purpose, that I am an individual and unique fragment of the God force, and that I will never be seen again in all the worlds in this form. Therefore, I am precious, exceedingly precious. It does not matter what I do. I'm asked only to be the love that I and I alone carry on this earth now when I am so desperately needed. I also realize sometimes death is the final healing. Since the fear of death keeps many people from actually living, fear of death can consume a life. In addition, I learned it is truly marvelous to be in spirit form, to be in my light body, unlimited, all-knowing, unencumbered. But it is only in our human bodies that we can hold a newborn baby to our breast, walk on a beach at sunrise, make love, smell a rose, or taste a strawberry. It is here in our bodies that the lessons of love are made manifest. It is on this marvelous human adventure that we actually increase the God consciousness as co-creators. Whenever we choose love, knowing, of course, that there is free will, there is rejoicing in heaven. Every time I take a deep breath with consciousness, I am remembering and renewing my spirit, my connection to spirit, and the privilege of being alive. And here ends that reading. And it looks like I have time to read you one more report from the file of Ions. This short, passionate account doesn't say much about this young woman's experience out of her body, but says a lot about love. She found a whole new meaning for the word love, but says it was hard to integrate it into this life, though she retained the fullness of that love for a while. She says God knows that we are all at different places in our understanding, uh, uh, of our understanding of love and that we are not to judge each other in this regard. She speaks of the oneness of all with God and the greater receptivity to love by those without ego interference, such as animals and dying people. She ends with some advice for all who have tasted that love. And in this report, our experiencer writes, One of the hardest things to do after an NDE is to put such an experience into words. I will try my best, so I ask for all God's love to stay with me while I tell my experience. My NDE was about eight years ago, but according to the realness of it, it was yesterday in a different form of time. I had an arrhythmia where my heart would pause during sleep. My cardiologist said it paused four times on the 24-hour heart monitor so referred me to an arrhythmia specialist. I went to the specialist and was told I have brachycardia and Mobitz 1. He mentioned a pacemaker and blood pressure medication, but I didn't do it. He asked me if I was taking any any medications for my heart to beat so slow during my sleep, 36 beats per minute. I said, no, nothing. So a short time went by, and I got sick with a fever but not due to the arrhythmia, 
I'm hypersensitive to a lot of medicines and medications, so I'm careful what I take. When I'm sick, my arrhythmia acts up and my heart can slow more. I took aspirin for the first time, and that slowed my heart in my sleep to a complete stop this time. For how long, I cannot say. But the experience resulted in more information learned in a matter of seconds than can be learned in a much longer time here. So with all the different experiences people have, how they begin is so hard to put into words. I just remember going. I guess we call it traveling here. It just happened so fast. I felt everything he is, God, I saw the light, I was in it. This light, it's not something I just saw and looked at. It's like my whole self became my vision, and the new depth of feelings absorbed was unimaginable. It is the cure for everything we suffer here. Everyone here does things for fixes or to feel good, etc., and so many don't know how to stop addictions and get rid of painful things we endure, and God's love, oh so powerful, is a cure. In God's love, there is a whole new meaning to the word love. This is not the light of the sun. The sun is beautiful and warm and serves many purposes, but that is the sun. This light is different. It is God, and in the love that it is, you now would understand the meaning of the word love. We here do not practice the full meaning of love all at once. We love, but with restrictions. God is the full definition of the word. And the word love to God is more than a word. When you've experienced God's love and that love is with you, you will see and look at people differently than you did before. One thing I'd like to say also is that in God's world, and I'm meaning in God's love, no one is left uncared for. No one. Any patient you see in a hospital or someone needing care at any time, that person is all of our responsibility. It is our job to love one another without restriction. Nothing stops love in God's world. There are no questioning thoughts whatsoever before helping someone who's in need or just needing to be loved. And I can say that God does know that we are not all fully experienced in the meaning of love, so we cannot judge anyone, which is so hard to do. We are all human. We have brains and we tend to think in separations, but God is not a separation. He is everything at once, and he is in everything. When you're on the beach with your toes in the sand, he is in that smallest piece of sand. I can go on forever. My experience was so wonderful, but sometimes hard because I have very few people I can relate to. I express myself mostly through doing things that I love to do without words or talking. I best express myself through music and thinking. Since my experience, I started building things. My interest in nature and flowers, plants and animals is so strong. So during my experience, I wanted to stay where I was and go further. But I was completely shut out. Lights off. You can't come here. This place of God was right above me. And I can't explain that. I woke up. My heart was beating again. I opened my eyes and the room looked different the walls, doorways, etc. The place looked just like what it is. Everything is just. The door is a door, and the wall is a wall. 
when you're coming back from perfection and God's light and love, yeah, everything is just. I was still feeling sick, but not nearly as bad. But I brought something back with me, and it was the greatest gift in the world. The love I felt from God was still with me. And I tell you, I loved everybody. I was more patient. Jealousy? What's that? Anger? No way. God has none. All meaning of love was with me, and it was all at once, without separation. And you didn't even have to be a family member to be loved by me. I smiled all the time and looked at everybody going this way and that way, driving all mopey, and all I could think of, think to myself was, wow, we are all unaware that we don't die. People are totally unaware of it all. I could probably write forever, but my experience goes so much further. When you have an experience, you come back with so much to say, and there's so much you want to give, but it's hard because... Not everybody understands love, and people want to be loved, but in their idea of what love is. Animals will take your love completely without separation, but people's egos separate so much. When people get sick or they're dying and their egos get weaker, that's when they're ready to take your full attention and love. So in God's way, without getting hurt or angry, just keep loving with all your heart. And that's where her story ends. My thanks to IANS for all they do, including providing reports like these to members on a monthly basis. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 450 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button, or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE Radio Library. Be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.